Dominette Richmond. Thank you for joining me for this episode of the Trend Talk Show, where industry experts join me to discuss new and emerging trends in their fields. So hello out there. Good evening, good afternoon, good morning, wherever you may be joining us from. Um, I'm so excited to be here. I'm Annette Richmond. This is the second episode of the Trend Talk Show, and I'm so excited to have you know, Ed Hahn and Tom Powner and Mary Despy here with me. I've known them all and I'm meeting most of them for the first time right now. So um, let's get started for anyone who doesn't know you. Um, first, everybody out there, if you are there, uh, please do say hello and tell us where you're joining from, just so we know that everything is uh, kind of up and running and you can hear us. So let's start with, uh, well, we should go ladies first. So Mary, why don't you start and then we'll go across and we'll go around to Tom and then, and Ed, if you can tell us a little bit about you for anyone who doesn't know you already. Yeah, sure. Hi, everyone. My name is Mary Despay. Um, I am a recruitment consultant and career coach based here on the island of Oahu in Hawaii. And super happy to be here chatting about my favorite topic. And it's, I guess it's my turn. It's your turn. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, compounder coming, coming from uh, Fort Lauderdale right now, but also in New York. Um, kind of have two places I work out of. Um, I started Career Thinker about 12 years ago. I, I kind of quit the grind of corporate America. Um, you know, I, I look back now, I wouldn't change a thing or maybe make money sooner. But um, I, and I have a career service company and I do uh, third-party recruiting. I had three recruiters on my team. We recruit for four to five national companies, human resources, sales, and, and um, business operations. And that's what we do. Okay. So I guess that's me. So yeah. hi, everyone. My name's Ed Hahn. I'm a recruiter. Uh, I build myself as a wordsmith. Uh, and I'm what I like to describe as a as a job seeker ally. I'm not a career coach. That's not what I do. Annette is a career coach. She's real good at it. Um, <laughs> and and as, as are Tom and Mary here. That's not my thing what i do for to what i what pays my bills is being a recruiter um but because of that what that has meant is i get to have a lot of conversations with a lot of hiring managers and read a lot of resumes hear a lot about after action reports from interviews and i like to use that information to help job seekers do better have shorter searches so my name's ed and i'm here to help you well, uh, well, I appreciate that. And I will say that I know all of you share great information on LinkedIn. So I also want to say hi to a couple of people in our audience. So hello, Brenda, who is joining us from Canada. Happy to have you here. And our mutual buddy, um, Kenneth Lang. Thanks so much for joining us. It's great to have you here as well. So let's, um, let's jump right in and we'll, you know, get right to it. Um, as I mentioned, we were chatting a little bit before we started that the jobs report was really quite interesting that came, just came out on Friday. The idea that, um, you know, the jobs added was a little bit less, you are know, less than the month before. I mean, it was 315,000 compared to 526 in July. 
but still, you know, it's considered strong, yet the unemployment rate ticked up. I mean, only 0.2%, but still it did tick up. And I was listening to something. It was um, actually an NPR interview and with um, their uh, Scott Horsley, their chief economics correspondent. And he was saying that the reason for this is because so many people re-entered or entered the workforce and they're they're now looking. So so what are your you know, what are your thoughts on that before we jump in and then I ask you about some other stuff? Ed, do you want to start? Sure. Um so I think there's a couple things happening here, right? Um obviously there there are some of these uh economic forces at at work here, but let's also remember that we're talking about this having been summer that in that quarter that was that we're talking about during which a lot of hiring slows because decision makers are just aren't there they're taking some of that time off that they're that they want to make use of right school's been out kids have had a particularly tough semester tough school year and they want to be treated they they they, and parents want to treat them right uh so i think that it is normal to expect that quarter to end with a, you know, not a, not as strong as the one immediately before. Um, that's kind of my read of it. Okay. And Mary, do you want to jump in? Yeah, I mean, I would agree with all of that. I think um, seasonally it's that time of year where it's still early enough in the fall that people are hiring, but it is a unique situation because the market seems to be a little bit slower. I know that companies are really, instead of just going direct to market to find talent, they're also building and capitalizing on their different relationships and uh, talent pipelines that they have either internally or with other groups and really just picking and choosing given the climate that we're in. You know, I think, um, there's an air of caution. So I know that there are definitely companies that say, oh, we're hiring, but, you know, we're going to take it a little slow, maybe hire one or two positions now for, you know, the quarter or the next month or so, and then see how it goes um, according to the rest of the forecast later on. Okay. And and your thoughts, Tom? Well, I'm, I'm finding more people coming back into the job market. Um, what's happening now, daycare is starting to come back. The biggest challenge for a lot of parents where both parents were working um, for the past two years, one was staying home, whether it was a husband or a wife um, or both husbands or both wives, um, to be politically correct. Um, so daycare is coming back because there's been no daycare for the most part. Um, summer programs are now ending. Uh, and then a lot of people that just, you know, just – kind of was scared and stayed inside and now popping head out and coming back. Even my building, I have two people who live in my building um, that has not been at an apartment for almost two years and all of a sudden they're coming out. Um, so you got a lot of people just shifting back to, I don't know what normal means anymore, but shifting back to what used to be. So I do see see things changing and coming a little bit more back to normal as far as people getting back into the job force. Yeah, well, thank you for not saying the new normal. We kept saying, you know, through the pandemic, like every six months, this is the new normal, and then it would shift and it would be something else, another new normal. Into, but it, you know, we're moving into a different phase. So one of the things that that I read, and this is, I read it recently. I'm sure you all have too. Um, but they focus a lot on it on the 2022 work 
trend index, you know, that Microsoft did on, on LinkedIn. I think it was back in March that it came out. Yep. And they were talking a lot about how candidates, um, you know, job seekers, that they're their priorities have shifted. And I've read other articles about this as well. And that now, you know, money is is not necessarily their highest priority. Um, so many people are uh, in the poll that they did, they 53% of employees, uh, 55% uh, parents and women, 56% said they were liable to really prioritize their well-being overwork, you know, family is just more important to them now. So as people are easing back, um, you know, I, as Tom was just saying, now people, oh, Derek cares back. And so people are able to get back to the office. What are you seeing as, as far as this, as far as this goes? Mary, do you want to start us off? Yeah, I mean, I would echo that. I know that the candidates that I talk to I mean, money, of course, will always be important, but, you know, a lot of the questions now that people ask me on behalf of companies is like, tell me about the work-life balance, you know, plan that you guys have there. Tell me more about wellness and just what is the overall point of view of the organization and what can we do? And really just the last few years of being in the pandemic, I mean, we've all, you know, lived the test case that like, well, how we were living before, we've had to adapt and um, really make time for ourselves, you know, whether we wanted to or not, it was forced on us and we have adapted to the situation and it's become part of our life and our lifestyle. So it's a it's something that I see more of that people are not compromising. Um, they'd rather just kind of, you know, continue with a good thing if they have a good thing. And, um, you know, seek out employers that support that kind of lifestyle. Yeah, yeah, I, I hear that, too. So, Tom, I'm going to ask you to go next because you recruit all in the healthcare industry, right? That's one of your areas? No, no, not the healthcare oh, I'm industry. Sorry. But, but um, I, I'm, you know, the thing that money doesn't matter anymore, they want everything and the money. So I'm not <laughs> seeing people, they, oh, I'll take 20000 less. Um, they are really demanding a work from home environment um, and even a hybrid approach. You know, work from home, work from home local is becoming very popular. Companies will hire you if you're a certain distance from the corporate office because they want you to come in once or twice a month. Um, but people are just want to work from home. Um, I just I just finished a consulting gig with a, a company and we had to identify which position we can make remotely because the past year they have so much turnover. People would take a job and quit in two months or two weeks because they didn't want to travel into the office. So we, we identified like 162 jobs uh, that could be done remotely. So companies that have to change the way of thinking. I don't know how long this is going to last. I'm not sure if it's, I, I personally think work remote 100% is not as healthy as people think. I've been doing it for years and I miss people. <laughs> I, I, I miss hugs. I miss handshakes. I miss laughter. Um, so I don't know if it's good for us long term, but um, people want work from home environment and they want the money and they want all the benefits that come with it. That's what I'm saying. So, Ed, you look like you're bursting with thoughts there. <laughs> I have. I have a lot of thoughts. Um, I'm, I'm sure you're surprised to hear that. Uh, <laughs> largely, I'm, I'm echoing what Mary and Tom have already said, though. Um, look, my my big competitive advantage when I am trying to poach someone from another uh, organization is 
oh, I read in the, I've read in the news that this employer is doing RTO. Hello, that's you've just rung a dinner bell for me. Okay, that's what's happening when companies announce that they're doing RTO. Uh, all of their competitors say, oh, okay, thank you. Um, I'm going to contact all of your people now. And yeah. Because why wouldn't we? If your organization isn't, you have a competitive advantage, and it's a massive one. There are all number, there are a very large number of people who have a vulnerable population, vulnerable people in their homes are themselves a vulnerable populace, uh, the vulnerable populace, uh, and you know some of folks are are driving farther than they had before. Some folks some folks have relocated entirely during this, the last two and a half years. But let's also remember that the past two and a half years, if you have been working continuously in the same place for the last two and a half years, right, you went through the initial horror of summer of 2020 when everyone practically mm -hmm. was at least riffing or, or, or furloughing significant amounts of their teams. So what did that do to everybody that was left? Well, guess what? This amount of work doesn't suddenly compress down to this amount of work, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. On the contrary, it expanded, right? Because there's fewer people to do it now and fewer people proficient in doing it. So everything took longer. And so all those people were sick and tired of that. And that's where the great resignation came from, to, to my way of thinking. And I think we're continuing to see that trend, that, that impatience for being in the minds of many employees taken advantage of. Yeah, I, I hear that too. And I'm interested when you, because I read that too. That was one of the things that they focused a lot about in that work trends report, the idea of, um, and I think it was um, right around the 50%. It was sort of 50, 50 mm -hmm. divided with employers saying, okay, now back to the office, everybody back to the office. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and I, I would imagine that that would be a real shakeup because, you know, not only is the flexibility, but as you were saying, the idea that people are, you know, concerned about themselves or their, you know, their families at home. A lot of people live in uh, multi-generational homes. So what do you all think about that? Is that, are you seeing that too? Well, see, are we seeing what? I, I lost the question. The, the whole idea of people, um, you know, when they, when they are wanting to, they don't want to go back to the office that it's really unsettling. It's, it's a the workplace revolution of 2022. I mean, people are just refusing. Um, you know, even when I interview someone and I tell them it's not, it's in the office job because I hire a lot of salespeople that have to go out and see clients. Um, they'll go through the whole interview process. And when it comes to the offer, they said, well, I want it to be remote now. Um, and, they're, and they're just turning down great job offers because the, it's a revolution in my mind. Um, and they, they don't seem to be swaying. I'm not sure. Again, like I said before, I'm not sure how long this is going to last, but this is where we are right now. So, so Mary, do you think that that employers are going to respond to that and and go, you know, more virtual or hybrid? I know I have a good friend that works at Gartner, and they have um, a huge campus just one town over from where I live. And she told me that they are now a virtual first company. That's their standard, virtual first, and they actually sold one of their buildings because they just don't have people coming in there all the time. So do you think there might be any shift in that, you know, towards that, that uh, way of thinking, Mary? Yeah. I mean, I, I think it depends on the industries and yeah, just the company philosophy on that. But I know, you know, I work 
with a lot of tech and consulting candidates and you know virtual first is the way to go i mean that's what it is and and some of the clients and companies they have been selling office space off or reconfiguring it for you know more social events and training and not so much day-to-day work type of stuff but um i mean i think it's in in the industries that i work with yeah definitely i mean it's almost a given and that like going into the office i mean occasionally you'll hear it from people who say that they want to but um but it's i think it's virtual first from my experience you know, I, I can imagine that. I, Tom, you were saying that you're lonely. Now, I love working from home. I've worked from home for a really long time and I love it. My husband, on the other hand, hates it. So he takes every opportunity to go out and see clients that he can. So, so Tom, uh, Ed, you're looking like you're ready to, to, to share some more. Um, yeah, if, if you don't mind. No, uh, please. You know, it's what's funny to me about this experience, right, is that, you know, I'm a corporate guy uh, and, you know, my my organization has is sunsetting one of the buildings that they're in uh, because there simply isn't enough demand. We, they have the, the top, top leadership has said hybrid is going to be our way future. Uh, And that, that is the way it is. Uh, We had historically been a more or less hundred percent onsite shop. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when you have several thousands of employees, you know, and who are no longer showing up, then you know, you, you want to kind of, you know, that, that's a, that's a capital expense, right? What, and you want to eliminate those things when you can, yeah. uh, so, but, you know, at the same time, you know, I live very close to, to my office. I'm like 10 or 15 minutes, depending on the traffic. Right. Um, so for me, it's not a big deal to go in. And I also, prefer seeing people in person every now and again. You know, Tom, I, I completely hear you when you say a little lonely, right? I mean, we spent, you know, better part of a year at least not actually seeing any of these people that we had been working, you know, shoulder to shoulder with all this time. Um, you know, I, I volunteered to start working on a hybrid basis as part of a pilot program, you know, and now we are officially making that transition organized, organization-wide. You know, it's kind of interesting to see what parts of the of the workforce are are open to that and what parts of the workforce are are not as open yeah yeah i mean obviously some jobs you have to be there i spent years in the restaurant business where you can't have you know work from home and be a bartender i mean it just doesn't work that way at least not yet maybe someday but not but not yet so i see you laughing there tom (laughs) um but I, I'm curious also, and, and you were talking about this, the idea that um, it's it's uh, people leaving. And I've heard from, you know, from recruiters, uh, some of them here, that people are um, quitting. I mean, they're leaving before they even finish out the, you know, the, the time before the recruiter is going to get paid for that. And I saw something um, that the Muse did a survey on their website, which is a, a job search site. Um, and 72% of the 2,500 workers that they polled s- said that they were um, surprised or re- or regret something that they're uh, in their new job and they're ready to kind of move on. So um, they're calling it shift shock. So what what do y'all think about that? I mean, the idea that people thought, oh, the grass is greener, 
great resignation. I'm not happy here. They're overworking me. And, um, you know, I'm going to leave and try something new. And now they're unhappy. Yeah, I've seen quite a bit of that. And Ed said something earlier about people being impatient with their current employer. And, you know, they've been doing the work of two people while we go through this whole transition and stuff. And I've had many clients that uh, actually, with my help, found a new job. But by the time they got hired, like I had one national um, sales account manager, uh, he's supposed to have 42 salespeople report to him. He didn't ask the right questions. There was 20 people missing when he was being interviewed. And by the time he got on board, there was another 15 people. So he had 35 open hires. How could he succeed with all that newness and him being a new company and had to hire these people? And I've heard these type of stories over and over. So the grass might seem greener, but when you get on board, uh, people above you, people below you are just missing. And then how do you fill that gap in when you're a new employee or new leader of the company? Okay. So that, that's been seeing quite a bit of that. Okay. Other thoughts on that? Feel free to jump right in. We're all friendly here. <laughs> well, I'll say, I mean, I would agree. Like, I think that there's this level of patience that people, I, I don't know, maybe it's changed a bit in the last few years in the workforce. Like, the patience period is smaller and smaller, I feel. Um, but I also think that, you know, there is a lot of fueling of higher pay, like as the motivation for leaving. I mean, yes, following and pursuing your life dream and taking time off, all of those things are true. But let's face it, a lot of candidates are, you know, a quick way to boost your salary is to jump, to jump, to jump. And I know with certain generations of people in the workforce now, it's much more common to leave. And, you know, it's, I mean, do they regret it? Yeah, probably, you know, because I mean, sure, they might have the pay increase, but like all the other dynamics that make a satisfactory workplace and the fulfillment that they hope to be making and the impact, is it there? I mean, maybe you got to stick around. I don't know. I think personally, I feel like the impatience level, I think, Tom, you nailed it completely. Like, I feel like there's a lot of that going on, but um but yeah, that's just what I see. Um, you know, I, I agree with both what Tom and Mary just said here. Um, my my experience has, with this has been, uh, so in 21, if you're a recruiter with even a modicum of experience, you had people throwing gobs and gobs of money at you. It was absolutely insane. I, I, I fielded one call. Uh, someone was offering to practically double my salary if I would report on site in downtown Manhattan. Oh, <laughs> um, no, I have done this commute before. I do not wish to do it again. Uh, uh, even for that kind of money, I, I can't, I know that the time is too much that the, the value of my time is too high for even that, mm -hmm. you know, uh, but I know a lot of recruiters who did make it that kind of transition last year. And then, you know, we, here we are Q1, Q2 rolled around and, and that, and a lot of shops, there was, there was a bit of a bloodletting there. Right. Um, and even if there wasn't, there was, they probably have implemented, you know, certain belt tightening measures at the very least. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, maybe it's not a hiring freeze, but it's a hiring cool. Right. Like we're only going to do backfills now instead of hiring for strength or, or mm -hmm. capacity. Um, it's, it's a very strange space that we're in right now. And I think that a lot of it, 
because there's still a lot of unknowns, right? With major major employers riffing, major employers announcing hiring freezes. We all heard about the offer reasons that were seemingly everywhere a month or two ago, right? Um, there's obviously a lot of anxiety at, at, at the upper management levels regarding what the future holds. So, so I'm curious because an, another one of the questions that they asked um, on that Muse survey would was were people would people try to get their old jobs back? And 48 percent of people who responded to that said yes, they would try to get their old. So, how do you think you know that will go over? Do you think people will be able to go back to their former employer, or or you're laughing at so you're what are you thinking? No, if, if, if you don't mind, uh... oh, no, please. I think that the answer to this question is really dependent on how did they exit, right? Did they decide to get it all off their chest in their exit interview? That That's probably not going to go great in terms of boomeranging, right? Yeah. Uh, but by the same token, half of my placements, half my hires in the last six weeks have been boomerangs, you know? Oh, Okay. So that this has actually worked out really well. Now it happens that I hire chiefly technology people and also sometimes HR people. So the HR people, you they know the deal, right? When we exit, we know don't burn bridges, mm -hmm. don't be saying anything stupid, and leave the door open because we never know when we're going to encounter these people again. Yeah. You know, um, and hopefully that information that I that awareness has has been brought more broadly disseminated. Um, across the the workforce, I'm not sure how to what extent, but for those organ for those folks who want want to make that make that effort, uh, who also did it in ways that allow the organization to say, yeah, you know, well, welcome back, open arms, we've missed you, right? Um, th those are always good stories to be able to tell people. You know, I mean, what what better testament is there to your employer brand than people left and came back? Yeah, that's true. That's true. I didn't think about that. So, uh, Tom, what's been your experience with, uh, you know, with the, the candidates and the clients that you work with? I think Ed hit it on the head. It's, it's really how you left the company. Um, and even some people that left in, abruptly and stuff are uh, uh, still welcome back. Uh, and again, if the position is still open and they still need you, they know your brand, you know the company's brand, um, definitely why not? But a lot of people don't take that route. I'm, I'm surprised half of what you did. A lot of people don't see that as an option. I always coach my clients on that's definitely an option. You were happy. You were not happy for a little while. And, you know, so sometimes, you know, how many, how many times we break up and we're going to get a divorce, but we don't, you know, so it's human <laughs> nature. I mean, what, you know, so what's the difference? Um, so I'd say more power if, if it's the right choice. It shouldn't be out of desperation. Um, it should be the right choice. And and typically, when people do go back, they are making more money than they left. So, ah, so what is it that quit and then come back and you make more money? That sounds that sounds. That In sounds many cool. cases, it's not it's not a strategy that I recommend doing, but it's, it's, it's <laughs> definitely something that happens often. So, so Mary, you look like you're ready to jump in. Oh, I mean, I would agree with both Ed and Tom. I mean, it's all in the way that you handle yourself, I feel, like with any relationship, be it with an employer, be it with whomever, old friend that you had a falling out with, whatever. I mean, you know, I think, yeah, like I really just think that if it's part of your 
you just yeah, just your code, right? Like how you treat people professionally. This can extend to maybe not being happy with where you're at or you've acknowledged you've reached the limit, but then maybe a t- time away can help. And like, oh no, you went somewhere else and you're regretting it, you know? Um, we've all been in those situations where it's like, shoot, can I ask if I can have a second chance? Whatever the situation is, so why not with your employer? And I really, I really do think, though. I mean, this is independent of generation, age, whatever background. I really feel that if you don't have the professionalism mindset, you know, from what you bring to work, set and and you're coached on that, and you're aware of it, then like it's likely that you're never going to have like a chance to come back. But I would agree with these guys. So, so I want to ask you one question before we turn to the whole quiet quitting thing, because I'm really curious to hear your thoughts about that. We were talking about it a little bit, you know, before we went on air. But one of the things that that I found when I worked in corporate, which I did for, you know, quite a long time, and I, um, the two worst jobs I ever had were when I went for the interview um, I didn't feel like something wasn't right. The one of them was I, I got my degree and I just got my degree in English and I was trying to get a job like at a magazine or in advertising. And I was interviewing with this small sort of um, you know, advertising boutique advertising company. And the the owner who would be my boss it was interviewing me. He was late, he wasn't really he was kind of rude. And but they offered me the job and I took it because I wanted to get into the industry so badly. Um, and I, I have said this many times to people, I think I lasted like six weeks and I just didn't, you know, called and said, you know, I'm not coming in today. And oh, by the way, I'm not ever coming back. So that was, you know, and I was younger then, so I will excuse myself, you know, by saying that, but um, how do you know, and, and, you've all kind of touched on this a little bit about knowing the company and knowing what the company is like. How, how do you, how do you know? I mean, what can you do to, to try to know anyway? Well, today we have so many different tools to do some research. Years ago, we didn't do research. Today you have LinkedIn. You could actually reach out to past and people that did your role. You can look at um, Glassdoor. Um, there's a lot of blogs out there. You could do your research and kind of get some type of vibe of how the company is, how they treat the employees. I think LinkedIn is the most amazing tool that came out uh, in the past 20 years to help people. Um, so I coach my clients, you know, who did your job in the past, whether it's five or 10 years ago, reach out to them, see how they were treated, see how they were promoted, see if their raises really did happen. You know, do your homework. So a lot of people don't. A lot of people spend more time planning a three-day weekend than planning their career. Um, so um, it's out there. It's just you have to do the work to find information. That's my point of view. Okay. Um, I, I agree with what Tom said. I, th- I, I that analogy about planning a three-day weekend more than they've been planning their careers so apt, so on point. Uh, couldn't agree more about that. And it's it's unfortunate too, right? I mean. We all know that we have bills to pay. We know we have years of bills to pay, right? Uh, we have, uh, in, in most cases, we, we have mortgages and things like that. Um, we know that this is kind of important, right? But we also know that there's, on some level, there's a cultural bias against being professionally minded. That's not cool, right? 
And we all know that's a little true. You know, when you're out with friends, you okay, yeah, you celebrate your win and then you tell and you have you tell your success story. That's great. Okay, let's talk about more fun stuff, right? This is kind of not exactly unusual. So, you know, focus so I think that people are a little bit dis- disincented to be career minded because there's these little social cues that oh, people don't really talk about this stuff. I mm-hmm. guess I won't think mm-hmm. about it. Yeah, yeah. I I think that too. The the people, you know, they they don't plan a lot. I was talking to somebody about this not too long ago. And what do you find with the people that you work with, Mary? Are they, you know, on sort of a path because you you recruit for some, you know, kind of high-powered companies. And so is that something where people are wanting to go work there because it's part of part of a plan or are you finding as they've been saying that people are just like, yeah, let's go here now. No. Okay. That sounds good. Let's go over there. Um, I mean, I, there are definitely people who don't plan and it's just like, they're just going on like what's been mentioned already, or it's really not, you know, registering, you know, to like do the due diligence that you need to do with your career or even like where you're planning to go or anything like that. But I would say for, you know, candidates that really want to know and they're, you know, being very earnest in their search, they're going to do all the questions and all the things that, you know, both Ed and Tom mentioned. I mean, it's every person that they're interviewing with asking questions, you know, like, well, you know, the why is the why is this role open? Why are you hiring? Like, what's the worst day that you've ever faced? Whatever, you know, I mean, getting you know, rolling up your sleeves and really getting to the questions and then also doing your legwork outside of the interview with people, you know, in your network that know and can shed some light. So at least you can make that decision um, and choice. I mean, I've always said too, that like, you should really diversify your sources so that you build your intelligence, you know, thoroughly, that it's not just looking on Glassdoor, that it's not just talking to your one friend that maybe knew the thing or getting the word from the hiring manager. It's also like reading. It's also understanding what the company's vision is, like looking at company reports, filings, hearing what's in the news to really frame a bigger picture. And so, I mean, it's just funny to me because, yeah, a lot of people don't do the work and, it's silly because you're going to be spending a lot of time there. So you would think yeah. that you kind of put some thought to it. So, so, so before we move on, I just want a yes or no answer. And we'll start with Ed, Tom, and then Mary. Should you, if things don't feel right, should you trust your gut and, and not accept the job? So what do you, what yeah. do you say? Yes or no? Trust your gut. Yes. Trust your gut. Tom. I got a big gut. I trust my gut. <laughs> Yeah, I say trust your gut. Okay. All right. Yeah. Those are the, te- you know, the, the worst jobs I ever had didn't trust my gut. So, you know, we were talking about this a little bit earlier, and this is sort of like the, you know, big thing that I hear everybody talking about right now, when it's the whole idea of the quiet quitting. And one, um, I've read uh, different descriptions of this. Um, in various articles. And and this is one that really always just stood out to me. Disengaged employees just doing their job and no more. Won't respond to emails after hours or work on weekends. So um, 
now to me, and I understand there are times when, you know, you got to hustle. I mean, there are times when, you know, I worked at a magazine. Sometimes we had to, you know, work longer hours, but to some degree, it sounds like they're doing their job. And, um, you know, I think I had mentioned to you all, I just read a Gallup study. It just came out. It was done in uh, June, I believe. And they surveyed 15,000 full-time and part-time workers in the U.S. And 50% of the respondents met the definition of quiet quitters. So um, what what do you all think about that? I mean, is 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 it being penalized because you don't want to work 24-7 so you're a quiet quitter or, or what? I, I don't think it's anything new. I think you always have a group of people that did the nine to five that left the office. I think it's easy to do quiet quitting, whatever you want to call it, when you work remotely. And then on the flip side, I think a lot of people work a lot more hours. They take that commute time and they add it to the workday. Uh, I think this is just news trying to just put something out there, to be perfectly honest. Um, you know, um, some people are just doing – and again, when you're in the office and your boss is next to you in the office and you want to leave at 5 o'clock, sometimes you feel a little guilty, so you put that extra hour in. So we don't have these outside things impacting what we do in our workday. And again, you have family at home, and again, it's easy to shut your laptop down and walk away from some people. So I don't think it's anything new. I just think we're shifting the term around. Okay. That's my opinion. Other thoughts? You know, I I kind of am conflicted about this phenomenon uh, because, you know, there, there was a time not that long ago where coming in nine, leaving at five was considered normal, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and and what we've seen, I think, consistently since the beginning of lockdowns has been people realizing they need to prioritize self-care, people realizing that they need to establish boundaries because they need, not, not just for their own sanity, but also just because of their personal commitments in their family lives, right? I mean, it's very hard to be a good spouse, that good parent, good, good sibling, uh, if you are working some of the hours we had gotten accustomed to working, right? But you're still physically there in this space, and you it's not like you don't know these things are happening around you. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I'm a little frustrated by by the term because I think there's been a lot of fetishization of hustle culture, you know. And look, I, I'm not against someone having uh, having what do they call it a, a side hustle now? That that's what they're they, mm-hmm. we've been calling it now for the last half decade. Yeah, right? we used to call it moonlighting, right? <laughs> yeah, new term. Yeah. <laughs> um, and look, I got I've got nothing against that. If you want to do that, more power to you, right? But in thinking that everyone needs to hustle is intrinsically, I think, problematic. It because it, you know, there's no other way to put it. It fetishizes hustle culture, and that I think is potentially very dangerous for people. No, I I agree with you. And it it used to be the person who came in early and stayed late was the the go getter. The someone you know people would do that to. Um, to, you know, get, get cited for promotion or, or something like that. And now it's like, I don't know, you have to work what 24 seven to be the one who's really the, the go getter. So Mary, I see you smiling there. What, what do you think about all this? 
Yeah, you know, to be honest, when I heard that term quiet quitting, I was like, really, are we talking about this? Because Tom, I'm with you. I was like, what is this? Like, this is nothing new. I mean, it's like putting boundaries. I think what's interesting, I think what makes for interesting conversation about this whole thing with hustle culture and all of that, I think, well, you know, if doing what you want to do for your job and, you know, doing the whatever required or minimum functions of the job, that's just fine. But it would be interesting to see companies like who are they rewarding, right? Like with promotions, with pay, with this and that, like, is it people who are quiet quitting or are they, and you know, they're setting their boundaries and they're doing a good job getting things done and maybe a little more, or is it still the people who are progressing are the ones that are not quiet quitting and obviously making these actions to move forward and like do the extra i know personally i think it's really good to set boundaries i know earlier in my career i was never good at that <laughs> at all um i'm a recovering workaholic is what i like to tell people but at the same time i know like it's not enough to just like do the minimum if you mm -hmm. want to go anywhere i mean that's just my take i think like if you need to do extra to get there you're gonna do it but, you know, quiet quitting, I mean, hooray, but at the same time, I don't know <laughs> well, I mean, there's, there's a, what I said and what Ed said is, is kind of a little bit of the opposite. You know, but I, when I worked in corporate America, I led some really huge teams, multiple locations, and I would reward the people that were more dedicated. And, you know, did it have to work, you know, 16 hours? No, but they, had, they put a couple hours, uh, five, six hours a weekend. And someone who quite quit, whether it was 10 years ago, 15 years ago, it hadn't changed. Those people did the bare minimum. Why would I reward them with a promotion or a big raise or a great rating on their um, performance review? Uh, it just, that's just the way I look at it. I mean, I, I come from a strong work ethic. I'm not saying these people don't have work ethic, but um, those people that do the bare minimum to get by, then I'm then I'm on my hit list for promotion. I'm just saying. So you know, I appreciate everything that that you all are saying, but you know, I'm old enough that I remember working before we had this, before we had cell phones, before we had email, and when you left the job, I mean, yes, I was working in a in a magazine at that time. I think I had email, but like nobody did, just because my husband's like a, a geek like that. But, um, you know, we would stay late when it was necessary. But when you went home, you went home. And, you know, the weekends, yes, sometimes you would um, you would come in, you know, you'd have to come in and work. But it it just seems to to be like it's it's just a, a thing now where where that's just what it is that it's expected. And I think that's what makes people angry um or resentful i i know it you know did to me is when it's expected well i think that's a leadership problem like my husband he does not answer any email on the weekends or on vacation he totally shuts down and he lets his boss know that his boss doesn't send him any emails on the weekend yet his boss sends him other people emails because they respond or they get back so i think it becomes a leadership thing and when i was um leading teams i always set my emails to go out on monday morning even though i worked on a saturday morning for four hours so i think as leaders we need to control how we communicate to our staff so that's my point of view hmm. tom i'm so glad you said that because that is such a great point you know you you need to model the behavior you want your team to also follow I'm so glad you said that. Thank you. 
So, and you know, Tom, I guess you must be onto something because, you know, at the end, Gallup noted that it was a symptom of poor management, the quiet quitting part. And so, you know, I think that's an interesting way to kind of end that segment. So we're getting towards the end of our time. And I would just like to, um, you know, we've talked about a lot of different things tonight um, and, you know, shared some great insights. I know I've learned some things, but if you would like to share some sort of final thoughts about, I don't know, whatever, whatever you think is coming next, um, I, I would love to hear. Um, so, Ed, do you want to- uh, I think I'm having some difficulty with my bandwidth here. Um, but I guess what I would say is uh, oh, folks, please understand that uh, most employers, I think, are going to be working in a hybrid model. They're not, a lot of them are not going to be re- returning to 100% offsite. <laughs> and I think a lot of them, as Tom has explained on, a, on, multi, on multiple occasions during, the, t- during this call tonight, uh, has explained that remote pro- may not be the future for a lot of organ fully remote, I mean, may not be the future for most organizations. So when you're pursuing an opportunity and they say it's remote, ask them what does that actually mean? Because that can mean a host of things. Like in my organization, if I say hybrid, my leaders think it means one to two days a week on site. And that is not the same standard as every other organization uses. Get clarity. Okay. Yeah, that that important, important to know. Just like titles, right? Companies have different different it means different things, different companies. So Tom, you want to go next and we'll we'll let Mary round us out at the end. Yeah, I had this happen twice over the flexibility it needs to be part of the process. But I had two clients that moved one moved to the Bahamas, one moved to um I forgot where they moved, but the company, they, they got hired by the company, they moved because it was hundred percent remote, but the company didn't have security. Uh, would not support security in those countries or something. Um, so a lot of people think, oh, I, you know, I could do my job. I could do it from anywhere. Let me move anywhere. So, you know, understand what you're getting into. Um, be flexible um, because we're all shifting into a, a new era. Um, and remote, um, remote, 100% remote, I don't think it's going to last. Um, I could be totally wrong. I don't think it's healthy um, personally, mentally. Um, so I think the hybrid um, is going to, either way it's going to be. But like Ed said, whether it's two to three or four days at home in the office, it's going to be different for every company. Um, But be flexible. Uh, Be flexible with what's going on. Okay. Thank you. Um, I'll I'll say that, you know, just the last few years of work have been interesting for HR people, for leaders, for everyone really participating in it. Um, I would say like specific for leadership, you know, like just even hearing this now, like some places will be hybrid, some places will not be, it's like completely come back to work or fully remote. And the leaders really need to get it in front of it. I mean, they really got to lead their organizations in the way that's, you know, acceptable and appropriate for their workforce. I really feel that um, just from a leadership standpoint, that's got to change just in terms of including people in the decision-making, the voices, the thought process and setting policies. Um, A lot of times it's the same kind of people or it's just people with power. And I really feel, I mean, you see a little bit of voices from all levels, but I mean, there's, 
Yeah, I don't know. I just feel like there's a better need to have more people actively involved to formulate policies that really will be more agile enough than to you know be talking about like, oh, what do we do now? So I don't know. I just feel like, yeah, I mean, it's an ex- exciting time, I think. But at the same time, it's also like, what's going to happen? I don't know. You know, so like I feel all of this, um, you know, just uh, more more participation from different voices in the workforce uh, around a lot of these issues will be really helpful. Well, I thank you so much. And thank you, Ed and Tom and Mary, for joining me tonight. I'm always so grateful when the smart people I invite say yes. So uh, thank you so much. Um, I'm Annette Richmond, and I will see you on the next episode of the Trend Talk Show. Thank you again for joining me for this episode of the Trend Talk Show. If you enjoyed our broadcast, please subscribe.